0: my money.
1: Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank.
0: <laughs> Young money. Money, money,
1: money, money! rich man's blood. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. Amen. And it's a beautiful, rainy, wet New England day, and I'm with uh, handsome Phil Kleiger, at the my engineering uh, guy, and That's um, me. and uh, uh, my sidekick Will Pierce, and uh, and uh, and a couple of things. We're gonna have a wonderful guest on uh, today, Mickey Huffup. California and uh, uh, Mickey we want to talk about ProjectCensored.org but uh, could you please first tell our audience about your background, where you grew up, how you got involved in this and so forth, and I'll shut up.
0: Well I'm originally from uh, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I grew up in a working-class family. I was a professional musician for a long time. I always had an interest in history, culture, the arts, uh, and certainly media. Um, I'm currently a professor of history Social science, where I co-chair the history department at the Apple Valley College in Northern California. So I've lived in the San Francisco Bay Area nearly 20 years. So uh, you know, came out here and you know, sort of uh, rebooted, started started some things again, and have been teaching college for well over 17 years now, and uh, a lecture in sociology uh, and communications on the side, and of course, um, I'm president of the Media Freedom Foundation and director of Project Censored. Uh, the third director, in fact, of Project Censored, after uh, Peter Phillips and the founder, Carl Jensen. Uh, Project Censored is a media watchdog group, in fact, the uh, longest-running media research organization in the United States, founded in 1976 through Sonoma State University, and we now function through about 20 schools, colleges across the U.S., and have influenced uh, other organizations in uh, over six countries. We publish an annual book on underreported or censored news stories by Seven Stories Press each year, so basically we report the news that didn't make the news, and we analyze why, and we promote critical media, literacy, education. So that's, uh, that's at least a brief brief summary or concise, uh, concise delivery of, of what I have going on here, Barry.
1: All right, yeah, th- that's great. Um, but when did when was it started, 1976 or something, thereabouts?
0: The project started in 1976, yeah, that's correct.
1: But so even guys like Walter Cronkite endorsed you, am I correct? And, and Nels, Ralph Nader, can you tell us a little bit about, about that?
0: Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, we've been around, like I said, forty-one years, <clears throat> and we are a you know a student and faculty-driven organization. But uh, you know, we've certainly attracted a lot of uh, attention over the years. And if you go to the website projectcensor.org, your listeners can learn a lot more about us. But in our book each year, we have a lot of uh, a lot of material and research and <clears throat> things that are not online. But our top stories, of course, every year, are online. And you're correct. Um, Certainly, Walter Cronkite, Ralph Nader um, certainly have uh, given us kudos over the years, um, as well as uh, Dan Ellsberg, um, Peter Kuznick and Oliver Stone, Howard Zinn, uh, Diane Ravitch, Naomi Wolf, um, Noam Chomsky even, uh, more, more recently. So we've worked with a lot of people over the years, and uh, it was, it, it's, uh, we don't get a lot of attention in the corporate media, because that's mostly what we critique. And we, we critique what they don't cover and, of course, also analyze what they do cover and how they cover it. And we sort of deconstruct propaganda while highlighting problems of censorship and supporting a truly free press.
1: Now, uh, um, Mickey, how many uh, corporations actually control media? Is it all about six corporations really con- con- control most of it?
0: In the United States these days, we're down to about six. Um, they control about 90% of it, and many of them, of course, have cross-directorates and, and uh, great influence from advertisers, from major corporations, the military-industrial complex, Big Agra, Petrochemical, um, Big Pharma, etc. I mean, they, they basically, uh, the media companies make profits by selling our eyeballs to advertisers, <laughs> and they operate on a for-profit basis, hijacking the public airwaves. And about uh, 40 years ago-ish, <clears throat> <clears throat> by 1980s, early 80s, uh, then dean of journalism at UC Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley, Ben Begdikian, who died not long ago, um, we actually dedicated our 2017 40th anniversary book to him. He wrote a seminal work called Media Monopoly and talked about the, the decaying state of diversity in media. And he was complaining in the early 80s about 50 Corporations five zero that were technically controlling what was happening in the media and what he saw on the horizon, which turns out to be quite prescient, um, is that we'd have dwindling numbers and with conglomeration and downsizing and deregulation and all of these things, we would soon end up um, with half that. And of course, as he you know went on to say, six seven editions on, we're now down to six, like you said, Barry and. What we see in corporate media is sensationalism, trivialization of important issues, distraction, rampant top-down managed news propaganda, what we call junk food news and news abuse. Um, you know, the major papers, of course, on occasion do decent in investigative journalism, Yeah, they do. whether it's the New York Times or the Washington Post. But, I mean, many of these publications also function as mouthpieces for American empire. The Washington Post in particular has a long connection to the CIA. In fact, their current owner, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, uh, got a $600 million contract with the CIA to work with Amazon uh, right after he bought the Washington Post. Um, So, I mean, some of that stuff isn't even really hidden. The CIA, of course, has their own entertainment liaison, has a long relationship with Hollywood. In other words, Barry, we live in a land of illusion. Um, as Edward Bernays put it, um, we live in, in a culture of manufactured consensus. And, of course, Bernays was writing that 100 years ago. Actually, 1928 is when he wrote his book, Propaganda. But 100 years ago at the uh, advent of American interest in World War I or involvement in World War I, that was spurred on by public relations gurus like Edward Bernays to sway public opinion. So we certainly uh, have our work cut out for us. And at Project Censored, that's uh, what we specialize in, is trying to help people make sense of the news.
1: Well, well God bless you, and, and Mickey. I remember when I, I met you a couple of years ago when I spoke out in San Francisco. But, uh, you know, uh, one of the things, uh, my sidekick, Will Pierce, uh, 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 gave me a question. Uh, what do you mean by cross-directorship, uh, okay, in these major media companies? What, what, what does that mean to the audience?
0: Uh, well, uh, these are private corporations that are run for profit. They have CEOs. They have boards of directors, right? Um, and uh, sometimes what you'll have is you'll have directors, people sitting on one board um, that may also sit on the board of another company or certainly have cross-shareholders where there are significant interests that overlap. Um, and we've covered that in uh, many of our books over the years. And, and we've we've covered it in ways that, That we show that it it may bias liberal or conservative coverage depending upon the shareholder interest, depending upon current events, depending upon which way the wind blows. But the real issue there um, is we have more of a a consolidation of wealth and power that tends to set agendas and tends to set the tenor or general conversation uh, and frame the debates of the day. For example, just just very quickly – not long ago, when we um, were, were allegedly debating uh, the merits of health care reform in the Barack Obama administration, which eventually yielded something called the Affordable Care Act, um, which people call Obamacare, and according to many polls, people don't know the, that the Obamacare, Affordable Care Act are the same things. Uh, you <laughs> interestingly have people, because of propaganda, thinking Obamacare is terrible, but they love their ACA coverage. Um, but I digress. Uh, at any rate, when we had this debate going on you know, some, some seven, eight years back, a uh, little less, but w- we had uh, a lot of discussion about, well, what should we do with health care? Rather than the United States uh, joining the ranks of all the other industrial democracies on the planet where they had universal health care, uh, that wasn't even part of the discussion. Uh, that wasn't even there. Out of the 45 or 46 experts testifying to Congress, not one of them, Argued about the efficacy of single payer, which is a framing issue, which is omission, sliding by content. Basically, it's a form of censorship because the major media and the major corporate backers and lobbyists of in Congress, um, that's not profitable to them, right? So, so taking the profit out of healthcare is not something that interests private for-profit corporations like insurance companies, big pharma that pay huge advertising dollars to corporate media, and they have overlapping interests. If we were to talk about the public interest and small-d democratic values, we would see that as a conflict of interest or a conspiracy against the public good, and it would be called out in the public sphere if we actually had a vital, a uh, vigorous, investigative kind of free press. Fortunately, we do, but it is not usually the kind of journalism we see coming through the corporate media. So the small, intrepid, independent, alternative journalists and media outlets we have, um, they're the ones that we laud. They're the ones that we highlight every year in our book, uh, in our top stories. And we research a couple hundred of these kinds of stories a year, and they go through a panel of our judges and so forth and significant rounds of vetting. Um, so that's, that's basically in a nutshell what we do, and that's, uh, that's what we try to call attention to is the nexus of money and power and politics and how media fits into that.
1: Now, now the thing is, Mickey, is that you 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 do this in conjunction with like twenty other schools and get students involved. Is that correct? Yeah,
0: we we work with hundreds of students and scores of professors every year, um, and they incorporate this curriculum into their classroom, where students go out and investigate, find independent news stories about key uh, key issues or crucial things happening in our society, and then they go and research through databases, whether it's LexisNexis ProQuest et cetera, you know, university and college uh, kind of academic databases, and they search for coverage. And they have to research this, and they have to vet it through their professors and, then, and other community experts, and uh, they write synopses or summaries with analysis based on uh, communication theories, propaganda model theories, etc. cetera. Um, so it's a didactic process. You know, the students are learning. We're basically trying to help train and teach the next generation of citizen journalists, uh... and create a generation of truly critical thinkers um, what we found last just last year with the the rise of so-called fake news which of course is nothing new but suddenly people are paying attention to fake news and one of the iterations of it is propaganda a stanford study showed that our digital native millennial culture um, right the ones that are very very comfortable with technologies and smartphones and all these kind of things and sort of the information uh... generation right um... they they still they might be whiz-bang at using the gadgets, and they might be able to navigate the web uh, and use technology, but that doesn't mean they automatically have critical thinking skills <laughs> applied to media. And the Stanford study showed uh, an alarming number of people in the millennial generation uh, that just lacked basic critical thinking skills. Um, not that it was all that much worse than other generations per se, but you know we, we've really been lacking in critical media literacy education in the United States. Um, many other industrial democracies, like uh, uh, you know that also have universal health care, have programs that teach people how to navigate the media, have laws and regulations that outlaw the targeting of advertising to children or minors or people that are not fully cognitively developed. Um, in the United States, none of that. It's anything goes, and um, the plutocracy is much happier when we don't have uh, critical consumers of information because it's easier to manufacture consent.
1: Yeah, and isn't it because our model, the American model, okay, in media, uh, aren't we the highest, like, uh, advertised-based revenue source? I think, you know, like Germany and Japan and uh, a lot of other countries are much much less. Am I I correct in that or incorrect? Yeah,
0: I mean, they have their own issues and their own challenges, and certainly they have money involved in media. Um, But in the U.S., I mean, you know, advertising dollars, ownership, shareholder profits, uh, those all tend to— Uh, Trump truth-telling or Trump free press principles and values. I'm not saying that the major media, the corporate media, never uh, have uh, stellar investigative reporting or never report uh, important or truthful things that are going on. I'm saying that as a matter of course, that's not their primary objective. Um, And they do masquerade, by the way, as objective sources to uh, equivocate there and change and shift the definition of objectivity in in that context. Um. These are not objective sources. Uh, neither, by the way, are the independent ones that we source and cite. Yeah. Um, objectivity is is uh, certainly something to aspire toward, um, but it's mostly a ruse. And people that learn and study about journalism and and communications theory and so on, they learn about things like the objectivity bias, and they learn about framing, and they learn about preemptive assumptions, and value conflicts, and so forth, and they understand then how that shapes the way people communicate. Based on their own interests and confirmation biases, and so the corporate media is no different than that. And because we do have so much money at stake here, um, <clears throat> we do have serious challenges. One prime example of that, just from last year, uh, last summer, was Les Moonves, who's
1: oh, yeah. CEO
0: of CBS. And I <laughs> wrote about this in Censored 2017. While speaking at a telecom conference in San Francisco, um, he outright just said, uh, just said essentially that, hey. Um, the Donald Trump phenomenon may not be good for America, but it's damn good for CBS. And he said, keep going, Donald, uh, keep going. Um, so, you know, and this we're talking about a couple billion dollars here that's at stake. And you've got the CEO of CBS, Walter Cronkite, Dan Rather. Yes, that's CBS, right, um, basically saying that uh, they were more interested in profits than uh, really exposing uh, the policies, the chicanery, the duplicity, the mendacity of uh, the Trump campaign. And, and by the way, that doesn't mean Hillary Clinton gets off the hook either here.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> but in
0: particular, Moonves' commentary was about the sensationalist reality TV nature um, of, of, of sort of the three-ring circus that we call a presidential election, and he cheered it on. And uh, frankly, that's despicable.
1: Well, you know what Les Moonves made last year in Total Comp, uh, Mickey?
0: I probably can't count that
1: high, Barry, but I bet you can. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but anyhow, he's been making around 60, 70 million, okay, and when you when you add in the base salary and, and the stock options, the RSUs, and the whole thing, so um, it's just it's always done. Now, uh, you know me, I'm kind of passionate about the uh, about about people's savings plans and uh, and and and, oh, and other, other people, <laughs> you know, and, and other people's money. But you know, um, I, do you remember an old friend of mine? God bless him. Do you remember Danny Schechter? Oh, absolutely.
0: Danny Schechter, yes. You know, you know, and of he, course, our mutual friend Stephen Jay. Yep,
1: yeah, exactly. Yes,
0: I do. I do remember uh, Danny. Danny was a fan of Project Censored, and I was on his program once upon a time, uh, The News Dissector. Danny. Danny was a great one.
1: Yeah, D- Danny was the best, and we we got all Boston guys here in the uh, in the studio here. Uh, but anyhow, Dan, you know, Danny was a very smart boy. He went to London School of Economics, and I got his undergraduate degree uh, in at Cornell, and then. Uh, he went to uh he was a news dissector in Boston's bcn and then he went on to CNN he was a jan- uh, the journalist there and uh, he did a you know and ended up being like Nelson Mandela's best friend uh favorite journalist at whatever but you know um
0: well yeah actually our publisher seven stories press published uh Danny's book on Mandela
1: oh they did yeah so but but anyhow but Danny discovered me this is like about mm-hmm. seven or eight years ago and so we became friends and he wanted to do a actually a uh, what do you call it, a documentary in one of my books but uh, then unfortunately he died of pancreatic cancer but uh, he was just a, a very very bright guy and uh, but the re- what I'm get- getting in a roundabout way is that do you know who these these major mutual fund companies I'm not, not well I'm kind of I kind of uh, gave you the answer before the question <laughs> but um, do you know who owns these major uh, media conglomerates uh, Mickey like uh, Let's Comp- hear it. Can- what yeah tell us well, it's it's actually there actually it's, uh, the major shareholders are actually mutual funds where they get their money from people like Mickey and Barry and will and Phil and everyone else so the, this is the whole this is the whole the, the, which is amazing and I shared this with Danny Schechter and he flipped he says he said no one's ever showed me this and um, and I said no you can, you can go on Yahoo and figure it out within five minutes so anyone out there but so your major uh, media companies whether it be Walt Disney or Comcast or uh, even Facebook and, and Google, they're really media companies now. Would you agree?
0: Well, they are, but they're not journalists. so that's the crucial difference. But you're absolutely correct that they're media companies, re- regardless of their denial of such things, but they're definitely not journalists.
1: Yeah, so but th- this is the whole thing Mickey, is that they're making all these kinds of money, some of them like in the cases of Zuckerberg is a billionaire, one of the wealthiest men in the world now. Uh, and they're all, it's all really been done off with other people's money know, you know, for, yeah, you well,
0: know it, look at Amazon, I mean, look I mean and you when you talk about mutual funds too, um, you know one of the things that's behind a lot of this is something called the transnational capitalist class that Peter Phillips writes about in our books every year. Uh, and in this past year, I wrote a chapter on the propaganda firms, the public relations propaganda firms the three major ones in the United States, and showed the hundreds and hundreds of clients that they have, uh, you know, everywhere from, from companies that sell toothpaste to the CIA, uh, campaigns, uh, foreign governments. Um, again, money's the name of the game, and controlling of messaging uh, helps continue the flow of capital upward through the transnational capitals class from... Uh, working class people and and people uh, that you say are paying into retirement plans mutual funds et cetera
1: yeah and what, what's amazed me too is that because uh, getting back to the Washington post and Bezos Bezos whatever you want to call him, um you know and uh, actually my middle son's actually working for him now as a programmer in Seattle but um you know what amazes me is that um do you know you know where do you know where the Washington post got most of its revenue before it was spun off um, to Bezos do you know where they get their money uh, Mickey
0: well, other than advertisers, where specifically? Uh,
1: they get it actually from Kaplan University, their for-profit entity. They were getting um, yep. the major uh, earning engine, if you will, was the for-profit predatory um, uh, school um, uh, known as Kaplan University, which was owned by the Washington Post. Um, now, when Bezos—so Bezos essentially bought the, the Post, and then the, the uh, you know but do you want to know who the major shareholder of the Washington Post was before it was spun out?
0: Who
1: was that? Warren Buffett. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, you, no surprise. You with know, the Buffets or yeah. the Soros, or the Kochs, yeah. or the Mercers, yeah. or the billionaire class. They have their, their yeah. fingers in many of the media outlets.
1: Yeah, so the—but uh, in any event, so—but then it's so actually—the uh, Washington Post actually made most of its money in doing— uh, and they get 84% of their revenues, Mickey, at the time— from uh, Title IV, predatory Title IV student loans. So it's just, it's always about the debt. But uh, any event, uh, by the way, the station manager want to know if you have any uh, PSA or uh, announcements you could share. We'd like to help promote you guys. But uh, um, but anyhow, so where were we? The, we were talking about, so now my sidekick, Will Pierce, is here, and uh, he may have a, a question or two for you, Mickey. Yeah. Yes. Hey, Mickey. Um, well, the uh, people that produce uh, the News programs—they'll say if it bleeds, a leads. Uh, they'll say people want schlock. Uh, w- w- what do you say to that? I- is that true, or do they really want to know the truth? The people out there listening.
0: Well, I mean, you know, that's a huge topic, and there's been, tom- there's been tomes written about it. Uh, you know, over the last half century, actually longer than that. Um, you know, we-, we go way back to Tocqueville if you want to, but we don't have time for that. Um, or H.L. Mencken, uh, or uh, Daniel Borston or. Um, you know, the, the the critique of American anti-intellectualism, which again, this is the strain we're getting at here. Neil Postman, um, Morris Berman, uh, Chris Hedges, uh, Her- Henry Giroux, uh, critical pedagogy is a whole area where we study the anti-intellectual nature of, of sort of American culture. Uh, Robert Proctor actually did a book a few years ago from Stanford, and he has this field that he and others have created called agnotology, or the study of human ignorance and its impact on societal development and decay. Um, and so, yes, it's true. We do have uh, analysis in our books each year on junk food news. And uh, basically the, the argument, sort of as kind of a chicken-egg argument, right, is that the American public like uh, to be senselessly uh, and mindlessly entertained and not address or tackle key and crucial issues. Um, And that's why media companies deliver this schlock to them round the clock 24-7 with news inflation and so forth. Sure, that's partially true, but poll after poll also suggests that the American public, while liking uh, to have their their kind of respite, liking to have um, entertainment or sports or what have you, um, which can easily devolve into bread and circus kind of culture, uh, but they also like the news to be separate from that. And um, you know, even look when, when Barry and I were talking about Les Moonves and the Trump campaign last summer um, <clears throat> about that that whole fiasco. Seventy five percent of Americans said that the corporate media were covering Trump too much in a sensational way, and they weren't doing enough work on policies, right? So, again, back to that chicken egg, and this is what corporate media owners and executives say when they testify to Congress on these kinds of issues with FCC and so forth, is they say, hey, we just give the people what they want. And if the people want garbage and puppies, then that's what they get.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. Cat videos. Well, look, this is,
0: you know, the guy, the billionaire that bought the Orlando Sentinel 10 years ago, um, you know, got into a fight with his own journalist saying, that, like, hey, you've got to give people Iraq and puppies. Um, you know, and, <laughs> and the journalists in the room were like, hey, look, you know, puppies are great. But you know, we really need to tell the public what's going on, and that's what George Seldes, the great journalist in the 20th century, said, that the job of journalists isn't to be impartial. It's to tell the people what's really going on so that they can motivate um, people to, to have a functional democratic culture, and they can participate meaningfully in the culture, and to have the corporate news media abdicate that responsibility of the free press – uh, all in the name of profits and entertainment, and then blame the victims, blame the public. Um, yeah, I, I think that's uh, pretty uh, anti-intellectual in and of itself, and I think that's kind of a lame excuse. I think these these corporations have bought their way into a major responsibility that they're trying to buy their way out of. And that's no way to run a free culture and society, and we are certainly feeling the effects of the failures of the Fourth Estate uh, in my view,
1: yeah. Who was it? Greg Palace says we have the finest, demor- we have the best democracy money can buy, or something yeah, to that that's effect. Correct, yeah Actually, yeah. Our
0: publisher, Seven Stories, also published his book uh, recently, updated with the uh, journalist uh, cartoonist Ted Raw.
1: Okay. Oh, yeah. His book, but
0: if, if people haven't seen it,
1: yeah. So, but but one of the things which which and Danny, I I love Danny. Danny was ferocious and uh, yeah, I don't he know, was great. He was really great, and, and uh, he was just passionate about the truth and just a a good guy and a kind soul and uh but one of the things which we, i and i told him my story and he, he kind of lit up when i told him about uh because i try to get some of my research out there in, in the public media you know pbs that type of thing and uh uh-huh. and you know jay's like it's, it's the same old story you know and god you know and the thing is i could tell you i mean i some of my research on, on money issues uh about how people save and so forth uh mickey i i've Knocked on the door of the marketplace money 22, 23 times, then they'll never publish it. And so or y- nightly
0: business report in nightly. Florida, where my uncle actually was uh, one of the producers of that show for years. Uh, but but they wouldn't cover that stuff. Maybe PBS, you could sneak it on to Bill Moyers.
1: Yeah, now but, yeah, but Bill. Time, but right? matter of fact, I'd love to have him on the show. Is Bill? Is he? But he's not doing any any shows anymore. Is it? Am I correct?
0: He's got Bill he had Bill Moyers now. He did retire and then come back, but he still has kind of a you know flagship brand there. Um, and, and he, hes still he's still kicking around. He's still doing some things. I actually, when I participated in a Ralph Nader's Breaking through power uh, event last year, um, some of the some folks that worked with Moyers were there actually and interviewed us. Uh, in fact, they were some of the few people that were there, and the Real News Network was the only other news uh, people that covered Nader's huge historic event, Breaking Through Power, on civic engagement at Constitution Hall. And it got almost totally blacked out by the press, even though Ralph invited them all. And by the way, he tells that story of the gross censorship of uh, basically what amounts to you know a lot of the work for his entire career, but specifically the Breaking Through Power. He has a chapter in our new book, Censored 2018, Press Freedoms in a Post-Truth World. Um, and he tells that story. We also have a chapter by Ed Herman, the same Ed Herman from Noam Chomsky and Manufacturing Consent, gave us a 30th anniversary update on the propaganda model. And that's just in our newest book that's out last month. From uh, No, this month, actually. It was just out at the beginning of October. So your listeners can check out our work, buy our books. Censored uh, 2018 is out, projectcensored.org. Is the web address, and we're also on air every week on community radio, 40 stations. People can check out the Project Censored show. We're run by a nonprofit, Barry uh, Media Freedom Foundation, where I'm president. Uh, I work with Andy Lee Roth, Nolan Higdon, Susan Ram, and a whole host of other faculty and wonderful people. That you know, we're basically volunteers here. You know, we we don't even have a six-figure budget, but yet we produce mass amounts of work. We promote critical media literacy education. So when people support us. a month, $10 a month. We send them a book, um, generous donations, you know, sometimes from people uh, that give us, you know, a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars. That means a great deal to us because that's how we keep the doors open. That's how we keep doing the things that we do. And again, it's all for the public interest and specifically through education and not telling people what to think, but really trying to help people uh, think critically, trying to teach people how to think and that's basically uh, what we do at Project Censored.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, and we're the same way. I mean, this is a community. This is a legit community radio station. It's all volunteers. Yeah. It's all do- donations. We just you know just for the love of the truth and for love of community radio because, Lord knows, we that's don't fun? need to hear another clear channel station. You know, which is well, another. we had sto- you
0: on a couple a couple years back at KPFA, which yeah. originated out of Berkeley, California. Yep, yeah,
1: that was fun. Um, yeah.
0: And. Yep, that's community radio, and uh, you know, community radio is a really radical source of, of information, where people can speak unconstrained, and people can really, really dig for for, uh, for the truth. In, in a world now saturated with alternative facts, fake news, and. You know all this post-truth culture. I mean, you know, we need more of this kind of media. We need more people speaking out, Barry. And I'm uh, again, I'm honored to be on the show, and I really appreciate the good work that you do.
1: Well, well, thank you. Yeah, we, but anyhow, you know, Mickey, you're a very, very bright guy, and uh, people go to ProjectCenter.org, and uh, yeah, we'd like to get we'd like to get uh, offline sometime. Maybe we'd like to get Ralph Nader on because you did a great piece about stock buybacks, Mickey, and he, and he just nailed it, and about the financial, uh, engineering, if you will. And, uh,
0: yeah. How old is Ralph sharp. now?
1: Yeah. He's Ralph's
0: t- 82, 83 sharp as a tack. Um, and just unstoppable, you know, to quote one of his own book titles, <laughs> um, the right left Alliance, uh, Ralph is, is, uh, you know, in my view, Ralph is really a, a hero. Um, he's really somebody that's put his money where his mouth is. He's somebody that, you know, um, the rubber hit the road with him back with the Corvair, you know, over yep. 50 years ago. And yep. he's just never stopped, never stopped seeking justice. Never stopped uh, speaking truth to power and speaking truth as power. And uh, great respect for uh, for Ralph Nader. You should definitely have him on the program sometime.
1: Yeah, I definitely do. Like and then Bill Moyers too, because uh, I think wasn't Bill Moyers? I think I think he was was he a minister, a Christian minister at one point? I think I think you
0: know, yeah, he goes way back to the Johnson administration too. So he right back when they were starting public broadcasting, uh, he was in the Johnson administration. So yeah, but Moyers has an interesting background, and again, one of the very few of the people that you'll see in. PBS or even corp- or corporate media for that matter. Um, PBS unfortunately is a lot corporate these days with underwriting and yeah. and so forth. So it's not as public as it purports to be in many ways and cases. But nevertheless, um, you know it was Moyers that did the Deep State show. It was Moyers that exposed a lot of Iran Contra. It was Moyers that went back and looked at the CIA and Iran and so on. So you know, I mean, nobody's perfect. But uh, frankly, for someone that rose through the ranks as much as he did, uh, he actually did some fairly solid journalism.
1: Yeah. Yes. We we, we'd love to connect with you, but any event. So, uh, by the way, we we did. I did send you in a donation, whatever. I'm looking forward to the book, Mm -hmm. but uh, uh, but let's keep in touch offline, Mickey. Do you have to run to teach a class right now? Am I correct? I do. Yes,
0: I do. I actually have to go teach two critical reasoning classes right now, and uh, my students are digging through current stories, and we're looking at stories for the next round and the next book. So uh, I will tell them to uh, tune in or check out the check out your program Mm -hmm. and. And uh, again, appreciate you having us on. Your listeners can learn more at ProjectCensored.org.
1: All right. Yeah, and your show will be posted on the site, on the station site, in on my site, which is nice. Now it's actually getting some uh, some uh, some traction, Mickey. So it'll be available on right. iTunes as well. So uh, God bless you, and uh, keep uh, pushing back the frontiers of ignorance, Mickey. You and, Thanks, uh, and Barry. We'll be in touch. God bless. Take care. Take care. Take care. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke, broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio, engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at BarryJamesDyke.com. Who are the world?